Go ahead and be seated, church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and get your Bibles open. John chapter 12. Today we're going to be looking at the last 13 verses of this chapter. And as you get your Bibles open, let me go ahead and get started by letting you guys know a few things that I believe that I'm guessing a few of you guys believe. Um, I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus uh, is still seeking and saving the lost. And I believe that Jesus still has the power to change and transform people's lives. Amen? Amen. Now, the reason that I believe this isn't just because I read my Bible. And it's not just right theology. The reason I believe this is because I'm seeing God do this very thing in the very midst of our church. So this morning, I want to start our time by telling you a story about a couple named Robbie and Alex. And uh, Robbie and Alex, I hope this story to you guys is encouraging. I hope this blesses you. I hope this encourages you that God of the Bible is not dead, but he is alive and he's still at work in people's stories. So Robbie and Alex, they come 12 months ago. Uh, They get invited to City Light by a friend and family member, and uh, they decide to check it out. So they're married and they limp in. Uh, Not only do they come on Sunday mornings, they jump into my city group. And so I get to know a little bit of Robbie's story. And uh, here's where they came in as a couple. Their marriage uh, was in a place of discouragement and moving towards a place of hopelessness. And more than that, Robbie's story, as I got to know him, I quickly realized that Robbie is a guy who has, um, for decades, struggled with drug addiction, substance abuse. He's worked a blue-collar job, tried to hide it, and yet behind closed doors, offstage, this is a dude who really struggled in a lot of ways. Because of his past, because of his substance abuse, his relationships were being sabotaged. So here's Alex, the wife, showing up at church, not knowing what she believes about Jesus, just saying, God, if you're real, will you do a new work in our lives? God, if you're real, will you do a work in our marriage? Doesn't know where else to turn. She said, let's just try this thing called a church. (laughs) Okay, they show up at my city group. Now she's in a place and a posture of warmth towards Jesus. She is inviting God to do something in her marriage. Her husband, Robbie, not quite there yet. So he jumps into my city group. Um, I'll never forget the first day I met Robbie. We, uh, before city group, one of the things that we do because I, I have a need to win at all things in life is we play basketball, okay? So you join our city group. We're going to play knockout and horse, and we're going to play until I win, which could take a while, okay? And so uh, we're playing basketball. Robbie's a good basketball player. I like to play basketball, so we hit it off. I start to try to talk to him and start to move the conversation into spiritual things, like what's your story? What's your religious background? And here's what I got. Folded arms not going to look you in the eyes, one-word answers, looking disinterested, basically saying with his face, please leave me alone, okay? Now, um, maybe I'm the only one that's had this awkward city group experience, but basically I'm, I'm realizing very quickly, his wife is here, very excited, found community, wants to walk with Jesus. Robbie's here because his wife wants him here, and he's going to get in trouble if he doesn't come, okay? Can we just keep it very real? Nobody else has been there? Okay, we're going to keep it real. So, here it is. So he's here. He's disinterested. Now, then the stage is set for God to break in. And sometimes God has to get our attention. And God got this dude's attention. So within a couple of weeks, uh, Robbie's no longer at Citigroup. Alex, his wife, is at Citigroup. Everybody leaves Citigroup. His wife is on my couch crying. Here's the story. What happened to your husband? Where's he at? Robbie overdosed. Robbie used. Robbie's in rehab. Robbie's going to recover. But we are in a place where we don't know if God could save our marriage. We don't know if... He is ever going to break free from this addiction. And Chris, I don't know if I can hold on and have hope. I said, listen, God's not done writing this story. Let's pray for your husband right now. Let's pray that the impossible would happen. 
Let's pray that he would come to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray that he would be set free from this addiction. And let's pray that God would save your marriage. We got down on our floor in our living room. We prayed right there. Um, didn't feel anything special, but I said, I'm just going to surrender this to the Lord because I don't have the power to do this on my own. Fast forward a few months. Robbie's in rehab. I start texting him while he's in rehab. We're sending him verses. People from our city group are praying for their marriage. People from our church are sending him a passage of scripture that remind him that God loves him even though he's broken. He comes back to our city group. Get this very first time. It's the thing in the room where I'm like, hey, you're back from rehab. How are you, bro? And these are the first words out of his mouth. I am so sorry for the way I treated you guys. I was disrespectful and disinterested, and I'm sorry. I don't want to let you guys know that I... I believe in Jesus. I want to become a Christian. Could you help me in that? I said, no, there's a church down the street. They can help you. I'm, t- <laughs> I'm done. No. We stopped right there. We prayed over Robbie. We celebrated what God had done in his life. Now, fast forward a couple months. I said, Robbie, here's the deal. I'm excited that you're excited about Jesus, but we got to figure out your story. Would you mind sharing your testimony in front of the entire city group in the next month? So he's preparing his story. And within a month of him coming back from rehab, he's sitting in our living room. And he's saying, Here's how I met Jesus. Here's what my life looked like before Jesus. Here's why I want to walk with Jesus. Here's what I believe to be true about Jesus. Here's how I sin against my wife. And here's why I need King Jesus. Amazing. Now, fast forward to where we're at in the story right now. Okay? Now we're, now we're in this place. You know where Robbie and Alex are in this exact moment, 948, in baptism class. Two weeks, they're getting baptized publicly at Stinson Park. Can we give a shout of praise to King Jesus? Now... Uh, Robbie and Alex and I, we've been uh, doing this thing called a huddle, which is like a little discipleship group. We meet once a week out of Starbucks, get our Bibles open. We geek out. We read scripture right there. We pray for one another. We confess our sin to one another. And then Robbie and I are praying, and this other guy, Brian, we connect and we pray that God would still use us to impact the lives of people around us who need to know Jesus. It's been amazing to see this guy. Uh, start to grow in his love and affection for Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you guys right now, church, Robbie's story is not one where he went from a bad dude to a good dude. Robbie's story is a dude who has been made alive by the grace of Jesus Christ. He's a guy, when you look at his life, he's going to say the thing. I've tried all the books, the, the positive thinking. I've tried all the principles and the programs. None of it changed my life, the, the power of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I want to tell that story this morning is because when we get to John chapter 12, um, we're going to see how simple Jesus keeps it. You want to know what this whole thing's about? Listen to me. This whole thing about in John chapter 12 is Jesus is going to make it very simple. You know what keeps you out of the kingdom of God? Keeps you out of a relationship with the Lord? It's not your past or your brokenness or your sin or your shame. God is bigger than all of those things. It's your persistent unbelief. There is hope for anyone that will call on the name of the Lord. Do you know what gets you into right relationship with Jesus? It's not because you're an awesome parent. It's not because you're generous. It's not because you're better than your crazy uncle. Okay? None of those things. What gets you into the kingdom of God is believing in the Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to keep it super simple. He's going to bring it down to gospel 101. It's about what you believe to be true about Jesus. Is he a moral teacher or is he the savior of the world? And so when we got to John chapter 12, what John is going to do is he's going to start to tell us the story. If you follow through the three years of Jesus' public ministry, which is where we're at, his public ministry is coming to an end, you have seen the story. People have met Jesus, they've heard about Jesus, they've responded to Jesus, and they believed in Jesus. But John is going to back the story up and say, listen, not everybody believed in Jesus. Not everybody responds in the right way to Jesus, and so he's going to help diagnose some people's unbelief. And so this morning, I want to look at three things. We get three pictures from our text. One is a picture of unbelief. One is a picture of a flawed belief. And the next and final point I want to make today is the benefits of belief. That will be our outline. Jump in. Let's go. Verse 37. Let's look at it. 
Point one, a picture of unbelief. It says this. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Okay, so this is the problem. There's a spirit of unbelief among God's people, especially the Jewish people. And if you remember, it's um, the reason that he's, he's mentioning this idea of unbelief and the reason that's a big deal is because there's evidence that supports the fact that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He's saying, um, we've done some miracles. You guys, if you've tracked through the story of John, some of my favorite things is that Jesus showed up to a funeral, canceled the funeral, said, hey, dead man, why don't you come to life? Dude walked out, they went to dinner. Not a normal interaction for me on a Friday, okay? That's not something I normally do, but Jesus did that. Um, another time, there was a crowd of people that came to hear him teach and preach. There was a lack of food. Um, Jesus cares about eating, praise the Lord. So he took a dude's lunch, some, um, some, uh, some fish and some bread. He multiplied it, fed 5,000. Jesus was in a storm, spoke to the storm, said, chill out, be still, it obeyed his voice. Jesus walked up to somebody paralyzed. There was no medical remedy on this side of eternity. Jesus is the good physician. He heals the man. Amazing. So there's all of these miracles throughout the, the pictures of John. And what he's saying is there is evidence that validates that Jesus claimed to be God, but his works validated that claim that he was the son of God. Nobody else on this side of eternity has that kind of authority over Satan, sin, death, disease. Nobody has that kind of authority. Me and you do not have that kind of authority. But listen, all of those forces obey the voice of Jesus Christ because he is indeed the son of God. He's saying in spite of all of that, people did not believe. And let me, he's going to tell us why in the next couple of verses. So let's keep reading. Verse 38 says this, So the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, John is quoting here Isaiah 53, chapter 53, but verse 1, and he's doing this on purpose. Here's the connection that John, the narrator, is trying to make for God's people in the present. He's trying to say, listen, um, this whole idea of people rejecting the prophet, people rejecting God's word, people rejecting God's ways, this is not a new idea. Like, this, this pattern has been playing out throughout all of human history. He's saying, listen, look at, remember how Isaiah was called by God to be a preacher and to be a prophet. And then do you remember how God's people, his chosen people, ignored the very voice of God for decades? He said, the arm of the Lord has been revealed, which means the works of the Lord have been revealed. It says that they believed, or they've heard, but they have not believed. And so he's saying, listen, among God's people, there's a spirit of unbelief, and this is a, not a new pattern. And what he's trying to say, it, the application for those who would be reading this is, listen, don't make the same mistake that your ancestors and forefathers did. You didn't recognize God's work, God's words, and God's way in the past, and it cost you. In the same way, would you recognize that God's trying to get a hold of your attention right now? Let's keep reading. Verse 41 and, uh, or verse four, or 39 and 40, here's what he says. Therefore, they could not believe again. Uh, for again, Isaiah said, he had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Again, John here, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And God is again, he's warning his people. Um, one of the scariest things about scripture is in Romans chapter 1, it says if you persist and you're pushing away from God, if you have a desire to harden your heart towards God, if you've in your heart said, I want to do life on my own, I'm going to pursue being my own God. God, I don't want to listen to your ways. I don't want to submit to your word. I don't want to follow you. God will turn you over to your desires. He's saying, there's, what John is trying to say to the people of God is, people of God, would you wake up? Would you turn from your unbelief? 
Would you spare yourself from the wrath of God and the judgment you're going to bring on yourself? And would you believe in the one that is Jesus Christ? This is a warning from John. It's a loving warning. This is just like a big brother sitting a little brother down and saying, listen, it's not going to go well for you if you continue down this path. That is what John is doing for God's people in this text. And um, I want to say one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's honest and it's true, and it helps me make sense of the world around me. And you might say, what does this have to do with us right now? Well, here's what it has to do with us. There are some that we know that have deafened themselves to the things of God, that have blinded themselves to the things and the realities of heaven and hell, the truth of God's word, and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And here's how I've seen these dynamics play themselves out. Um, There's people in my life where I will sit them down and I will tell them um, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus has died on the cross to forgive them of their sins, that Jesus has created them with dignity, worth, and value and made them in his image, and that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for the life. And if they'll allow him, Jesus will empower them to be a part of something very significant. And they'll look at that message and say, eh, let's go to Jimmy John's, right? Like, have you ever had that? Like, just, it just has no response. Like, for the people of God, I hope that you hear that. And that's not just old news. I hope that stirs your affection, right? Like, the Lord of the heavens and the earth loves you in a personal way. When I hear that, I'm like, thank you, because I'm unlovable. That gets me fired up. Other people, nah, I'm not interested. Um, I've taken some friends um, to the mountains to Colorado. I love that. Um, and we go out there and we've seen the mountains and at night, I don't know if you guys have had this moment where you look up at the stars and there's this lingering question every single time that you do this, who made that? And when I see creation, I trace it back to my creator and I say, God, you are beautiful that you hung the stars in the sky, that you created this with such beauty and such detail. Um, and who are you, Lord? I am in all of your creation. You must be big, beautiful, and, and full of glory. And I just start to praise him. Other people are like, let's take a photo and put it on Instagram. You know, there's no sense of awe and worship there. And the last thing I want to say is I've seen this play itself out when I see, like, people interact with my friend Robbie. Like, here's the story. So um, I'll, I'll allow Robbie to start to tell his story to some of my neighbors. We all hang out in the driveway. And Robbie would be like, hey, man, like, this is my story. God saved my marriage. God saved me. God forgave me. God's made me a new creation. And he's just talking about how God is the one that helped him be set free from these addictions. God is the one that helped him to love other people in real ways. God is the one that helped him forgive himself with some of the stuff he was going through. And when people don't believe in Jesus, what do they assign that power to? Well, I'm finally glad you learned your lesson, Robbie, and you've cleaned up your life. You must have read a book about, are you in a program? You got some positive thinking people around? You got some new friends. Way to go. I think that really will change your life. What do they assign the life change in Robbie to? Something very small. They're blind to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so when I look at this, I'm like, man, um, God is real. He is the one who can soften hearts. Um, And so let me press this in for application. Um, For us as a church, I don't really know your story, but I want to let you guys know, if you're a Christian and you have any love and affection for Jesus Christ, would you pause right now and celebrate that? Like literally, here's why this matters. Because as I'm reading this, I know that all of us, we naturally come into this world skeptical of God. We don't come in with soft hearts or open eyes to the personal work of Jesus Christ. At some point in our story, if you have a love and affection or even a desire to know Jesus... That's because God broke into your story. Yes, you said yes to him, but yes, he gave you a hunger for him. And yes, he softened your heart towards him. Do you see how this works? Yes, it's you. And yes, it's God. And so if he's done that work, work in your life, you've got to celebrate that. Some of you guys are like, my story's so boring. I grew up a pastor. Yeah, you can clap. Thank you. I oftentimes hear like, Chris, don't tell me my story's awesome. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. My uncle was a pastor. And we, you know, I grew up in a one. It doesn't matter. 
You can grow up in all of those things, and you can grow up religious and completely blind to the personal work of Jesus Christ unless the Lord started a fire in your heart. So give him honor and praise. Number two, some of you guys are like, I got a lot of people in my life with hard hearts. What do I do with that? Well, one, I think, first of all, the, the pattern in the New Testament, it says people come to Christ when they hear and they believe. So one, we do have to be people who um, are boldly willing to proclaim the gospel, even if people do not always receive it. But it gives me excited about something so much more than our boldness. As I look at these spiritual realities, I realize that, yes, it's our boldness. Yes, it's our proclamation of the gospel. But me and you are not awesome enough to turn a hard heart into a soft heart. Like, you're just not persuasive enough. You're not going to theologically arm wrestle into somebody believing in Jesus Christ and loving him. And so you know where that pushes us? To a place of prayer and dependence on God. Listen, we've got to pray that God would open people's eyes so they can see Jesus Christ in the way we've seen him. We've got to pray, Jesus Christ, would you open up ears? They wouldn't just hear the gospel as some old, outdated story, but they would hear it as the means of salvation. We've got to pray, God, would you soften some hearts so that, that your truth can penetrate and you can begin to do some work and uproot some unbelief? That's our prayer. Amen? So we're people that celebrate God's grace. We're people that pray people into the kingdom of God. Number two, I want to show you guys a picture of flawed belief, a picture of flawed belief. What we're going to see is that the tone changes for just a second. Instead of being kind of surrounded by this idea of unbelief, we're going to see that many, many, many people respond to King Jesus. But the problem with their response to King Jesus is they want to keep him private. They don't want to let King Jesus and their faith in King Jesus to, to go public. Let me show you guys this, verse 41 through 42. It says this. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. So the tone of the passage is moving towards the right direction. There's people that seen Jesus, experienced Jesus, and believe in Jesus instead of being in a sea of unbelief. Now there's this wave of salvation, and I'm excited. And then the verse keeps going. But it's, all, it's not all good news. Let me keep reading. Verse 42 through 43, it says this. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. No, wait! That's not the way the story should be written. If I was writing the Bible, I would write the story of they were weak and they were afraid and then they experienced Jesus and they became missionaries overseas. Amazing! They became bold, not cowards. They became faithful, not fearful. They finally surrendered their lives and got over themselves and got serious about Jesus. Nope, that's not the story. Basically, these guys realize if I go public in my faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to cost me status. It's going to cost me reputation. So instead of going public in my faith with Jesus, I'll believe in Jesus. I'll try to keep him private so that I can have the praise of men. I can remain in the in crowd. I can be the cool kid in the synagogue. As long as I have Jesus over here, I can have my life over here. Jesus, I'll believe in you as long as you don't threaten or inconvenience me in any way. Now, before we throw stones... Have we not also related to these guys? Like, it, it, have we not also felt these same tensions? So let me just state the obvious. It's 2017. Jesus is alive, but he's got some haters. Um, that was funny. You guys didn't get it at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. That was awesome. Okay. So, um, but have we not felt this? Like, let me just state the very obvious that our culture has changed in America, where being a Christian in the past um, might have helped you get business, might have helped you get a job, might have helped you get into school. Being a Christian now doesn't always go that way. In this arena, it's awesome to talk about Jesus, but there's lots of arenas in our life where if you go public in your walk with Jesus, not everybody's going to high-five and celebrate that. Can we keep it real? Okay, now, so because of that, have we not heard the same tension and the same voices that these guys heard? If I tell mom and dad, I've started following Jesus, they're going to think I got in a weird cult. 
okay? If I start telling my friends and my, friends and my peers and, uh, that I, I started walking with Jesus, they're going to think I'm anti-something. They're going to think I'm a hypocrite. They're going to call me a bigot. If I'm a college student and I'm going to tell my professor that I walk with Jesus and I believe the Bible to be true, they're going to label me simple-minded and call me a fool, right? Like, have we not heard these same voices and these same narratives play themselves out? But I want to be really honest about that because John is not talking about the posture of these early believers in a way that he's celebrating this. He's actually pressing in. And so let me just press this in gently to our church. I think it's possible for us to try to create um, a kind of Christianity that is entirely unbiblical. It's one where we um, settle for having a personal relationship with Jesus, but we keep him out of our public life. It's one where we open up our Bible and we journal and we pray and we hear his voice, but we read over the commands to actually go and make disciples, to be unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for all those who believe. And so when I look at these verses, I said, no, no, God, would you set us free from this fear of man so that we can be a part of your redemptive purposes here in our city, okay? And um, here's where this starts to get um, personal to me. In 2001, I was a freshman at a school called Wayne State College. You might have heard of it. Um, It's been known as the Harvard of the Midwest. People have written a lot of blogs about it. It's an incredible school. Um, Their slogan is affordable education, which means we're cheap, so come. Um, So uh, freshman at Wayne State College, had a big smile, had a big personality, was excited to get to know everybody on campus, was incredibly extroverted. uh, But behind all of that energy and excitement and smile was a kid who was struggling in some ways. Um, so here, here was my story. I grew up incredibly um, bitter. Um, some of you guys know my story. You've been around for a number of years. I've shared this here, but um, my dad left when I was a small baby, never checked back in. So I grew up angry at dad. Why'd you leave? Why'd you abandon family? Why'd you never come back? Why'd you take interest in my life? Grew up um, at this point in my life, 18 years old. I had played the games of the world, had to offer, played the sports, dated the girls, sat at the cool kids' table. Tired. Tired drank deeply of the things of the world, denied myself no pleasure, no adventure, no opportunity, and yet I was thirstier than I'd ever been in my entire life. Uh, I was a dude that, uh, although I didn't have a big moral compass, I knew the way that I had used people and hurt people was wrong, wasn't proud of that, felt a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. And so here's, that's where I'm at, 18 years old, freshman on campus, big smile, broken heart, okay? Some of you guys been there? Nobody else has been there, neat. Okay, so I'm alone in that place. Uh, again. So um, here's what happens. There's a, a junior named Cameron Sidek. Uh, he is from O'Neill, Nebraska, and he had met Jesus while he was in college, started reading his Bible, saw some verses about making disciples, and he decided to do something about it. He said, Barry, which is a dorm hall, he said, I'm going to be a missionary to do- uh, Barry Hall, third floor. It's a men's dormitory. I'm going to pray that God would give me an opportunity to share Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life with somebody that shows up as an 18-year-old freshman. So he starts praying before school even starts. He shows up. He's walking around the school praying. He gets in that dormitory. He's the first one to help me move in on freshman move-in day. He's knocking on my door saying, hey, Chris, I saw you got a basketball. You want to go play pickup basketball? Uh, Hey, you want to go to lunch? I want to hear more of your story. Hey, Chris, I'm doing this Bible study on Wednesday night. You want to check this thing out? I said, okay, sure. I'll go check this thing out. And I want to let you guys know my primary posture towards Cameron was not like I like you. Um, I thought he was entirely weird. Okay? He was dating a girl. And he, he was pursuing sexual purity, which I was like, that, that whole thing seems weird. Okay, what is that about? Um, he would sit there and read his Bible. 
He would pray. He would listen to Christian music, which I had never heard before. I was like, what is happening in this dude's life? And honestly, to be real honest with you, I, I mocked his faith. Didn't understand it, and I mocked it, and I made fun of him. And you know what? Cameron didn't give up on me. Eventually, I started to see Jesus in this dude's life and the way that he had joy and the way that he had purpose and the way that he had confidence in what Christ had done for him. And I started asking him about the Jesus that changed his life, and he had the courage and the boldness to tell me. He said, there's a, there's a heavenly father that will not leave you, but has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, Chris. There's a person named Jesus who will forgive you for your very worst and give you his very best. And there's this Jesus that has a purpose for your life that is so much bigger than you just playing this popularity game. He wants to use you in eternally significant ways. That's the Jesus that has come to seek and save you, the lost. And I believed in Jesus. City Light Church, what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to bring this full circle. I'm here today because Cameron Sidek, a kid from O'Neill, Nebraska, reached out to a kid from North Omaha. A kid who was pre-med and, like, was taking chemistry classes reached out to a kid who can't spell chemistry, okay? <laughs> Don't put me on the spot. I promise you I will mess it up, okay? <laughs> so, so, like, what, why am I here is because somebody, somebody cared about me enough. He was willing to sacrifice being the cool kid on the campus, because he wanted people to meet the Jesus that had changed his story. Amen? I want to be a part of that. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. I'm so thankful for that. Now, one, I want to celebrate you guys. Um, so many of you guys, our church is growing, not because just people come up here and preach. Our church has grown because you have been bold and been public about your faith. You've told fr- friends, family, coworkers about how Jesus is moving, how Jesus has changed your life, and you have been incredible. And so in some ways, if you're doing those things, awesome. If you're still afraid of what the world's going to think of you, I'm praying that God would set you free because the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's a prison. It will lock you in and it will keep you from being eternally used by by the kingdom of God. If you want to see God work, not just in you, but through you, you've got to get over this. What's the world going to think of me thing? We got to just love Jesus and be enamored with him and care enough about lost people that we move past that. Because the reality is you got Jesus in your heart, but guess what? You keeping him right here doesn't do anything for your neighbors out here. The, The lost people are out here. So I'm excited you're hearing about him and you've got this personal love and affection for him in here, but like the world out here is dying. There are a whole bunch of Chris Oreskes and Robbies. And um, so think about what God's going to do in our church in the next couple of weeks. I get excited because um, in two weeks, guys, in a significant way, this is going to happen. Um, dozens of people in our church are going to stand up in front of literally 2,000 people at a park, some Christians, some non-Christians, and then are going to declare, I don't care what you think about me, but I do want you to know the Jesus Christ that changed me. And they're going to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're going to celebrate their faith in a public way. And church, I want us to be there. I want us to celebrate that. And if you haven't yet got baptized, we want to see you get baptized and celebrate your faith in that way. All right, we've seen, um, we've seen a picture of unbelief. We've seen a picture of flawed belief. The final thing that I want to show you guys uh, is the benefits of belief. The benefits of belief. So let's look at the last couple verses here. Uh, verses 44 through 45. Before I jump into these verses, let me just explain what's happening up until this point in our verses, John has kind of narrated or told the story of um, Jesus' public ministry. He's kind of diagnosed the reality that have, uh, some have unbelief, some have believed, but it's flawed. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to jump back in and he is going to reinforce some of the major teachings that he has woven through the Gospel of John. And so this is kind of like his, um, he's summarizing some of the major themes. So you're going to see language in here that's been familiar throughout the Gospel of John. And here's why he's doing this. 
Uh, this is kind of his final act in his public ministry right after this. Uh, he's in the final week of his life. Uh, so he's going to start hanging out with his disciples. He's going to start to kind of uh, shrink his crowd a little bit. And so what he's trying to do is here, hey, for the Christians, here's what I want to remind you that is true of all of the benefits that you have in Christ Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian, this is like a buffet of good news that can be yours if you accept the invitation to know him. So let's look at verse 44 and through to 45. Here it is. And Jesus cried out saying, whomever believes in me does not believe uh, in me, but in him who sent me. And whomever sees me uh, sees him who sent me. Okay, listen, if you've ever asked the question, do I love God? The way that you answer that question is not by just looking at um, your behaviors or your patterns. It's by saying, what do I believe to be true about Jesus Christ? Throughout the entire uh, book of John, he has, se- he has not separated that you can have the Father and you can't have the Son. He's saying, if you believed in me, then you believed in the one who sent me. You want to know what a Christian is? You can't say, I love God and hate Jesus. That's not true. He says, no one comes to the Father except through the Son, right? So he's linking the two, and he's saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you know that I'm the Son of God, then you have a right relationship with the Father. There's no other way. You can't just play religious games and say, I like God, but I don't like Jesus. That's not an option for us who follow Christ. And whomever sees me has seen the one who sent me. Um, the secondary question that we might ask is, what is our God like? What is his nature? What is his character? What is his posture towards people? And he's saying, Jesus is saying, listen, if you've asked that question, that question has been answered in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of God. You want to know what God is like? He has come and he's revealed himself through his word and through his works in and through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. Study Jesus. Follow Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Love Jesus. That's how you know the posture and character of our God. And church, this is incredibly good news. Here's why. Because we don't need to be insecure about who our God is. We know how to live in right relationship with him. It's by believing in the Son. We don't have to be insecure about what our God is like. We've seen his character, his nature, and his posture towards his people in that he gave his very best on the cross for us when we were at our very worst. That's the nature and character of our God. Let's keep going. You can clap for that, by the way. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm just going to just call that one out just to make sure you're still with me. Okay, verse 46. Let's keep going. It says, I have come, not into the, uh, I've come into the world as a light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I love that this is a promise in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, please underline the second half of this verse. He says, whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Here's the reality. When you become a Christian, you don't just start to believe um, some theological beliefs and check a box. You literally move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he says, you will not remain in darkness. Listen, my darkness might be different than your darkness, but all of us universally were stuck in darkness. Your darkness might have been playing religious games because you wanted to be somebody, but you didn't love Jesus. You were just playing church. My, religious dark, my, my darkness might have been rebellious to the things of the world, seeking pleasure on this side of eternity that is not God-honoring. That's my darkness. But either way, he says, listen, when you start to follow the light, you're not going to remain in darkness. You want to know the good news? That when you meet Jesus Christ in a real way, you will not stay the same. You will not remain in that darkness. He will call you out. Why? Because you're going to have an affection for Jesus. He's going to give you a distaste for sin. You're going to start to repent of those things, reject those things, and pursue King Jesus. You will not remain in darkness. Robbie came into the light. He's moving out of the darkness and walking in the light. Chris Ruska, stuck in darkness, not perfect person, but moving towards the light. Amen? Great news. Let's move on. Verse 47 through 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Listen to this. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
The one who rejects me and does not receive my words as a judge, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Please catch Jesus' purpose. Gavin hit a home run last week in that he nailed the purpose. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to judge. I came to save sinners. Came to defeat your enemies of Satan, sin, and death. I came to die on the cross for the wrath that you deserve. I came that you would have the righteousness that I've earned through my perfect living imputed to you by faith and believing in the Son of God. I've come to save the world, not condemn the world. That's why Jesus came. The first time he comes, he comes to save. He's the sacrificial lamb. The next time he comes, he will return on a war horse and there will be judgment. But Jesus is saying, Christian, you know why this is good news? Because there is a judgment day and we will be found guilty. And do you know what our defense on judgment day is? It's not that you are an awesome parent. It's not that you are generous and nice. It's not that you are better than somebody else in your life. It's that King Jesus has done everything on your behalf. Amen? My defense on judgment day is not I was a pastor. Not I tried to preach the Bible. It's that King Jesus is my Savior, and he did everything that I didn't do perfectly in my place. What a great hope we have in Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian, that's the invitation. To know that Jesus is your defense, that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus wants to call you out what you're stuck into and call you into life of the light. What a great invitation. Let me close with this. A couple applications. Number one, again, as Christians, I want you guys to know um, it matters that we're filled with a spirit of affection and gratitude towards God. Again, I don't know where you're at. Some of you guys are like, man, I believed in Jesus a long time ago, but I just don't feel like I got a fire for him. Just that you're aware of the spiritual temperature in your old soul is evidence that Jesus Christ has broken into your story. Would you thank God for that today? Thank God for that today. Secondarily, I want to pray that um, this church, we be used mightily. Here's the temptation. Um, Over the last four or five years, God has done a few things. We started in a living room praying that God would use us. There's a couple thousand people that now worship Jesus Christ. 500 plus people have been baptized. Churches have been planted. The gospel is moving forth. And I don't say that because we're awesome. I'm saying that because God answered our prayer. And I'm saying that because that is both our story and it's a great temptation for us to get really settled with the fact that God did something. And now we can play church for a few years. I want to pray that as we move forward, we would stay hungry to see Robbie's come to know Christ in our city. That we wouldn't settle for a private faith but that we would refuse to kind of, kind of give in. Now, listen, this is not an opportunity for us to get really weird and rude. So if you're like, I'm going to drop some bombs in my neighborhood. I'm going to go to them and say, you're, there's judgment. Unless you got Jesus on your defense, fire. Okay? Don't be that guy. Speak truth and love. Chill out. But do not settle for a private faith. I want us to get to the end. And yeah, we might be rejected. But to say, we've got to see God do some cool stuff in the people's lives around us. Amen? We've got to see some Robbie stories. And that makes it all worth it. Final thing is I want to be us a people that we're not just active and being got proactive with the gospel, but that we're people that are on our knees praying, God, would you soften hearts? God, would you open up eyes? God, would you help more who are in our city that don't know you come to have a soft heart towards you? Let's pray right now for them, all right? So God, thank you for your work in this church. I thank you that Jesus, you've made it incredibly clear that you came into this world to save sinners, not to judge, not to condemn. God, you came as a sacrificial lamb that you would be rejected so that we could be accepted by our Father. God, we look at you. We believe in you. We affirm you. You are more than a moral teacher. You are our Savior. You're more than a guy that came to give us some principles to live by. You're a God who gave your very life so that we could have eternal life in your name. So, God, thank you for the story you've written. Thank you that you've given us faith and belief. Thank you that you've opened up our eyes and you've You've called our hearts to have a fresh affection. Our hearts, like Ezekiel said, they were hard towards you like a stone. And yet you've put inside of our chest a heart that beats soft and warm towards you. And that is your work. 
for your glory and for our joy. And we come back as grateful children. We say, thank you, King Jesus. And God, we ask you right now, we don't want to be a people that are just satisfied that we got you. God, we are hungry to see you usher in your kingdom that more people stuck in addiction would find freedom, more marriages would find hope, more children would find a name to worship that is bigger than their own. So God, would you usher in your kingdom of God in the city and would you help us to be your messengers of reconciliation, calling people from a dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. God, you've given us the message. You've empowered us as messengers and we want to be about your kingdom work until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.